Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, here with Rubina Chaudhry, my co-host. Today, we're talking about the future of aging, active lifestyle. We're going to be interviewing John Nimchek, a nationally renowned dance champion and judge, who, by the way, was my ballroom dance teacher for two and a half years, and Dan Lane, a mobility, balance, and martial arts specialist. Robina, don't you attend uh, Dan Lane's Tai Chi classes in California? Yes, I do. I have been for over a year now. Oh, that's terrific. So when we get to that interview, I'm, I'm going to be thrilled to hear all of the insights that you have um, and that you share with him. But before we get to our interviews, I wanted to talk about an article. Actually, it was sent to me in a Facebook post. Um, can I take some time to talk about that one? Sure. Great. So it's a 2017 article in the Journal of Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. And the article is entitled, Dancing Can Reverse the Signs of Aging in the Brain. And it not only talks about the beneficial effects of exercise in slowing down or even counteracting age-related decline in mental and physical capacity, but compares two different types of physical exercise, endurance training and dancing. It's really actually quite an interesting article, and it compares these two different uh, types of exercise and the effects it has on a particular area of the brain known as the hippocampus. So it found that dancing in particular had more beneficial effects in improved balance as compared to just endurance training. It's only comparing dancing and endurance training. Um, And how it went about this, I thought, was quite interesting, and I could relate to it, which is why I I wanted to um, bring it up for our our listeners. So it took uh, 68 uh, people who had an average age of 68 years old, and it divided them into two groups, and um, the two groups, one, exp- one half of um, the, you know, the number of people were involved in endurance and flexibility training, very repetitive kinds of exercises. And the other group was given dance routines. And um, the dance routines actually covered uh, different genres. So it was jazz and ballroom and um, Latin square dancing, line dancing. And in the dancing, uh, it wasn't only learning steps, but arm, arm patterns and different formations and different speeds and different rhythms. And every week they changed them. So it was a constant learning process. And the most challenging of, of the, this experiment was that each week 
the people involved with the dance routines had to, under particular time pressures and without any cues from an instructor, repeat these routines. And what they found was that the most noticeable difference for these two groups was in balance when they had these two different types of exercise, you know, flexibility and just endurance training and the dancing. And why I thought this was so interesting is because as someone who's taken ballroom dancing lessons, I always found the most challenging aspect of my lesson was when, whether it was John or other teachers I've taken lessons from, would say to me, okay, do this routine or do this pattern. Show me what you learned. And (laughs) I don't think John and I will go into it in the interview, but I'm always like, oh, I hate this. I'm never coming back again. (laughs) It's very, very difficult to do. Really very, very difficult. And that's why I I thought this article was so interesting because we are going to be um, interviewing a uh, dance champion And, you know, this article from 2017 talks about that physical activity is one of the most important lifestyle factors that contribute to the reducing the risk of um, decline in terms of our brain. Because the hippocampus affects uh, memory, it affects patterns, it affects movement, you know, Alzheimer's affects... um, the effects of Alzheimer's is seen in the hippocampus. So that's why I wanted to bring up that article. Thank what have, you. What have you found in terms of taking Tai Chi classes from Dan Lane? What what beneficial effects do you think you found in terms of your movement? Well, I um, uh, before I started these Tai Chi classes, I was feeling very stiff in the lower back because I have a, a lower back tailbone injury from uh, injury from college days. And there were times I could not sit on a flat area for a very long time or bend down and, uh, and be active. And I found the movements there helped me loosen up a lot and, uh, and increased my, my flexibility considerably. So I definitely enjoyed Tai Chi. As it comes to dancing, I'm I'm open for it, and uh, but that's not been one area that's been my strength, and and it's really, you know, more we look into this, Phyllis, the more we're finding it, that a holistic approach to mobility, to balance, to staying active, is really what helps uh, what helps in the long run, and one of the things that uh, that I also want to point out is that which I've learned from Dan who we are going to listen to later on is that it's important to mix up the type of exercise that you do the type of activity that you do that you do some days you do balance some days you do walking some days you yoga so that it's um, different parts of your body are being more exercised by one type or another of the exercise. So if you do mix it up, then your total body is getting, you know, exposure and and work up. For example, walk, you know, weight-bearing exercises, uh, this uh, yoga, dance, uh, they all they all emphasize 
you know, certain parts of the body. Uh, so that that was one thing. Uh, and, and I think when I was talking about that, um, Phyllis, you talked about the concept of cross-training. Absolutely. And as you were just talking about mixing it up, um, I was thinking about uh, going going back to the dancing. So um, I was taking lessons from John for a few months when he asked me if I wanted to go to a competition. I was thrilled. And of course, we started practicing. And as we got closer to the competition, so he explained to me that you know, depending on how many dances you were doing, different dances, sometimes you could be on a dance floor, maybe, you know, to do four or five dances, they're only one minute each. But when we started doing them, it's a whole different story from going to the gym because he said, you have to really do something to build your endurance on the dance floor. Because I was going to the gym as I thought that I needed to increase the strength in my legs and my back and my arms for dancing. But the kind of endurance training I was doing, whether I was on a stair climber or a, um, an elliptical rider really wasn't helping me with endurance on the dance floor. And so, you know, I was thinking about that very thing that uh, even at the gym, you can't do just one type of exercise or you have to mix it up after a while because otherwise your body gets used to it. So I love the fact that you brought that up, that even if you pursue passions or find new ones, you still have to mix it up. It's very, very important. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very, very true. And the other thing that uh, that I want to share that I learned through the process of uh, working with Olive Community Services and actually establishing the organization and getting it going is that there are so many resources that are available for seniors in each city. For example, majority of the cities have a senior center or a community center. And these centers gear their activities towards seniors. Um, There are free classes, uh, travel groups for socializing, and, and, you know, like a whole, whole range of of classes. And our relationship with the city of Anaheim, where we, and the Olive, uh, you know, group where we participate in Dan Lane's class, is a free class that's offered by city of Anaheim active older adult program in conjunction with, I believe it's the North Orange County Community College District where Dan is the professor. Oh, that's great. And not to interrupt, but I also wanted to ask you, aren't there different insurance programs that help people? Because we were talking about that earlier. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to make sure we covered that. Yeah, definitely. I'm about to come there. And that is that most seniors that are on, uh, you know, Medicare, or any other insurance coverage, you know, they have a, a gym membership option. And many, many people don't exercise that option. It's available for free in most insurances. In my particular insurance uh, policy, when I learned from my friends, I paid $20 a month, and that gives me so many more benefits. And one of them is a membership to a club that offers silver sneakers. Now, that's an excellent program. So I started my exercise adventure by going to the local YMCA where they offer silver sneakers classes. And the other thing, and so that's the class I went to, but you have full gym membership. You can, you know, you use, use everything. But another thing that as we explored further in Olive is that Silver Sneakers has another program 
which is silver sneakers flex. Now, silver sneakers is for, uh, you know, for gyms and for facilities where the uh, health clubs, etc. But the silver sneakers flex is for organizations that want to be able to offer small classes in parks, backyards, you know, churches, wherever. So Olive is now registered with Silver Sneakers Flex to offer our classes, and they're part of our Live, Learn, Thrive program. Wow, that sounds really amazing. So um, anybody who has um, Medicare or I guess they could look into whatever particular insurance they have uh, can see if there's a Silver Sneakers program that's offered in their community? Yeah, and it's a you know gym membership. Oh, I think it's silver just... silver sneakers is one particular program, uh, and I'm sure there are other ones as well, are as well. But uh, they, you know, part of the insurance is a gym membership, and we need to as seniors need to exercise that. Absolutely, you know, I think there are people who believe that once they get to a certain age, it's time for them to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the other part that's coming to my mind right now is uh, Phyllis we have many people listening to us and you and I are just barely sharing just bare little bit that we know and we would welcome people to go to our show page on the Voice America Empowerment website and share their thoughts and send us email on what things they have found that were that are working for uh, for senior citizens and uh, and um, you know then we can uh, introduce that to to the rest of the community so that we can learn from each other's uh, experiences. Oh, that's a great idea. I hope people will certainly do that because, like you said, there are a range of activities that people are probably doing out there that we're, we're not familiar with, but right. you know, there are many people with many different interests. And, uh, you know, Phyllis, I'm also willing to share my email address if, if the listeners would like to directly send uh, an email. That's rubina, R-U-B-I-N-A, at olivecs dot org that's o l i v e c s dot o r g and uh, you know we can definitely collect everybody's lessons learned and and share it with the community at large you know uh, as i said i learned about silver sneakers from a friend who was going there and i had no knowledge that even i i had the option of getting a member you know gym membership through my health uh, health plan I'm glad you mentioned your email address. I'd be happy to share mine as well. It's phyllis, P-H-Y-L-L-I-S, at voiceforeldercare.com. So that would be great to hear from our listeners and uh, for them to give us their suggestions, their feedback, or even to uh, ask us questions. And uh, we could probably direct them to other listeners or other ideas so that would really be terrific it would really be great if we can if we can be the bridge between uh, between knowledge and uh, and our application by our brothers and sisters in the elder care community absolutely you know uh, it's so important to become to remain active not only for uh, your physicality but also for your um, mental agility, you, its attitude, 
It helps you maintain a more appropriate body weight if uh, that's a challenge for you or even if it's not a challenge for you. It increases uh, bone health and strength. Um, it can prevent falls, and we will discuss that with Dan Lane because what, what he uh, does directly relates to uh, falling. And aerobic exercises reduces hypertension, uh, and improve, it improves social wellness. We found all this information in um, a blog uh, that you found, actually, Rubina. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, from uh, from a clinic in Oregon. And that's the beauty of it. You know, in this day and age, we have so many resources. Uh, just a Google search with, uh, you know, active lifestyle for seniors. There are so many resources. And uh, I hope that everybody uh, can avail of this and uh, and benefit from uh from uh, from all this information that's available from so, voices for elder care advocacy from internet and everywhere so we're going to take a short break when we return the voices for elder care advocacy uh rubina and i will be interviewing john nimchek on the benefits of dancing on active lifestyle Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rubina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. This is Rubina Chaudhry with my host and co-host, Phyllis Amon. Phyllis, would you please welcome our next guest? Absolutely. Thanks, Rubina. John Nemchek and his wife, Kathy, began dancing at the age of four. They were junior American-style champions, United States amateur champions, and United States professional 10-dance champions. John and Kathy were chosen to represent the United States at World Amateur Championships and were part of a formation team sent to Poland as ambassadors. 
As professional champions, they represented the United States in various countries around the world, and they were one of the founding teams of the American Ballroom Theater. John and Kathy have owned Nimchex Ballroom and Performing Arts and Wheelchair Dance Center in Pearl River, New York, for over 25 years. They are also both world-class ballroom dancing judges, and they both hold many dance teaching degrees, including that from the Imperial Society, Society of Teachers of Dancing. John's a certified wheelchair dancing instructor and the dance director for, for Roll Call Wheelchair Dance. John is also co-author of the Hustle Technique book and has produced the Bronze Hustle videotape. Welcome, John. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, so John, you, you and Kathy have been teaching dance at your dance studio for over 25 years, as I've said. Have you seen a change in the, the age or the number of older people, both men and women, who are taking dance lessons? And if so, why do you think that is? Oh, well, yeah, I sure do, because I think there's been such a great interest to the, the exposure that dance, uh, Dancing with the Stars or So You Think You Can Dance, I think it's brought a lot of uh, interest in dance and all its benefits that come with it. So, sure, I've seen a lot in different age categories, too, especially with competitions and social dancing. I've seen a big change in uh, the amount of people that are, are have, have you know, interest in it now. So, yes, I do. I so, what's, what's the age of the oldest person that you've seen take dance lessons or even compete? Oh, um, about 90 years old. <laughs> yeah, about 90 years old. I've, I've trained people and judged people, oh, you could say from the age of maybe three years old in competitions, which is another reason why people have... Um, They've gotten a competitive spirit. There's been a, a great interest in competitive dancing. So they have different age categories for that, and they go right up to, oh, over 90 years old. So basically people, children from 3 to about 90, they dance in their own age categories. And there's been a quite, a, quite, a, quite an interest in it. So, yeah, there's been a great, because of the exposure of television, I believe. So, so aside from becoming better dancers, which we assume they do become as they take lessons, what changes do you see take place as people continue dancing in their uh, attitudes or lifestyles? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, there's a social aspect which people, you know, they might have little fears of meeting people, but it actually intermingles people. It gives them a feeling of developing friendships and overcoming fears to meet people in a social atmosphere. And then there's the physical aspect and the endurance that it builds. It's not just dancing like most people would think, like when you're social dancing, you're just kind of rocking around. There's, there's skills to it, technique that uh, we have a syllabus that we go from like bronze levels. This is how we grade it, bronze and silver and gold and open. And it takes an awful lot of training. There's a lot of technique that is built in. So there's a lot of uh, benefits with it. Uh, people that, you know, have to remember routines and learn music and timing, things like that. So um, it's interesting that you say that about studying and different levels. So I've spoken about loving ballroom dancing many times, and um, I actually took lessons from you, John, for two and a half years. You did, you did. Yes, I did. And I have said um, 
actually, maybe you remember me saying this. We, we did go to a competition. I'll never forget the first competition you asked me if I wanted to go to. I, I was so proud. And I told you that it was one of the proudest moments of my life to step on a dance floor with John Nimchek, considering, you know, well, who you are as a, as a dancer and as a champion. Yeah. But what changes do you think you saw in me over the two and a half years that I took dance lessons from you? Awareness, control, musicality, uh, control over your body, your feet and foot positions, uh, coordination, really. I mean, that's what it, what it really boils down to. And the fact that ballroom dancing, the reason why I love ballroom, and I've done all forms of dance, is because you actually get to do it with another person. You know, you can go to the gym and have a workout, and that's great. But, you know, this is just as aerobic And some of the dancers. I mean, there's always the traditional stuff like waltz and tango. But then there's things like swing and mambo and salsa and samba, and they're very rigorous. So there's a lot of endurance built in there and, and you know, get your wind up and get your get the aerobic feeling in, in, in oneself. So that, that's one of the things I've seen in you. A lot of things... Um, the actual turning up and showing up and repetition of learning a routine over and over to spin properly with balance, which is coordination, and working on your equilibrium when you turn. Some people get uh, dizzy. So when you work on it over and over again, you can overcome those things. Yeah, I there's a lot a, of benefit to it. I've seen that in you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question, John. This yes. is Adina. You've helped uh, Phyllis. I'm a neophyte when it comes to dancing. What would, what would you suggest to someone who's not been able to dance but uh, has the desire to move and exercise? What are some of the things that you can, uh, that you can suggest? What advice would you give me? You mean to encourage people to do it? Yeah. Uh, oh. uh, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh. I mean, oh, I went to Zumba classes. I sat mm-hmm. in the, stood in the last class and could hardly keep up the movements. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, everybody, everybody starts at the beginning, you see, and at uh-huh. first people are shy and they feel uncoordinated and they feel they can't keep up. But I'll, I'll share something that uh, one of my mentors, uh, his name was Luigi. He was a jazz dancer. He's now no longer, but he was known as a teacher's teacher. He would see his beginners come into a class with, very much advanced people in the class as well. And he would tell his advanced class to move back and he would bring his beginners in front. And of course, there's always a little shyness. But if you've been there a few moments and you know the teacher and the instructor is doing it and and um, tailoring the class, not to the advanced people, but to those that are beginners. And he would thumb down his teaching to... Um, what would be expected from beginners so it wouldn't be so challenging but to encourage them to try and I've kind of based my teaching on what he would say and do so he would he would say to his students uh, the beginners you know hey I learn from my uh, my beginners every day how to teach and that I think is a hallmark of a great teacher that he 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 tailors his teaching to what I would call the, the the weakest link, which is people that are having a tough time. And it would be encouraging because he would speak to them kind of like it's not about the advanced dancer. It's about the person who's beginning. 
and everybody begins at the at the beginning and everybody has their fears because they want to keep up with the advanced dancer and that's not and that's not what most teachers really want they want to bring you up and it takes time and we all have the idea that we're building confidence in people and that's really the key because everybody comes for different reasons, uh, you know, self-esteem, uh, for exercise so they can lose weight or, you know, just feel better about themselves, build endurance. So, um, you know, I encourage people to do it for, for many reasons, to overcome their basic fear. It's, it would be no different than this call. You know, I could be nervous about it but I'll overcome it. And this is like I've only done one or two kind of things like this. And I said to myself, I'm going to be as as natural as possible. And I think dancing, and even I was a student at one time, that taught me how to overcome even people that learn how to um, do public speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all something but with experience. And, and if a teacher makes a, a first-timer coming and feel comfortable, I think that's a benefit to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting what you just said about overcoming fears, because uh, I credit dancing and the fact that I've done performances, did one with you, right, and, and competed, and um, I, I really truly believe that this has helped me step into other arenas where I, I stepped out of my comfort zone, even this radio show. I don't know, you know, what prompted me to decide to do a radio show. I don't know if I would have done that had I not had built up certain confidences about approaching things that were unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, it, for me, you, you, you mentioned all my accolades and everything in the beginning, and that's all great. And you know what? I can, I can rest on those laurels and say, oh, I've got all the degrees, I've got titles, I've done that, and that's all great. But you know, Phyllis, it, it led to teaching people in wheelchair dancing. And, you know, I just kind of got involved. I was frightened. I'm not skilled as a PT, you know, physical therapist. But in the doing, I can give you a quick example of what it's done for people. And, I, and you know, my classes kind of grew nice and they got big and we had a lot of fun. Um, I saw the confidence and a change in a lot of people when I took on this program. If you ask me where I got the knowledge from, I just think it was just get in and do it. And that's what I tell people. The the answer is in the doing. And you can find yourself as you develop a program like I did. When people meet other people in a wheelchair, they feel, and this goes for anything, a Parkinson's or, um, you know, anybody that's been in a motorcycle accident and they're in wheelchairs or they're blind. Everybody has a feeling gee, I don't know if I can be with this person. And there's this little feeling between us all that, uh, that I've, I've discovered for myself. It's like, gee, if I touch this person, is it, is it good to do? And, you know, I don't know how to do that. Well, when I started doing it, I realized something very, very early. And that was most people, when you meet them, let's say in a wheelchair, you, you, you have a tendency to go behind them look at them say can I help you and push them down the hall or something like that with dancing you have to turn around face them face to face eyeball to eyeball heart to heart hand to hand and that's something that most people and I mean I, I can you know tell you that this happened just recently because my mom was in a rehab because she had a stroke and I saw people there 
And most of the time, it was just people pushing around, you know, a patient or something like that. And then that's when it really hit me again, like when you see somebody and you want to dance with them and they come to a program, that they actually see a person face-to-face. Normally, if you're in a wheelchair, you turn your head back and you look and say, oh, yeah, can you take me down to the hall? Hmm. The beauty of this is you're facing one another, which is something that you kind of lose when, when, when you're dealing with people that are of, of age or, you know, in an injury. And then you do it with music and movement and touch. And to me, that's the magic. And once you do that, you overcome that first fear of doing that. I've seen people come to my classes that are what I call stand-up people. They're, they're, my, they're my standing partners. I have seated partners. I don't call them people that are disabilities. I call them my seated partners. And as we moved around, I saw the smile. I saw the laughter. I saw the wanting to learn and the whole thing of how that you can you can intermingle, you can feel a connection between somebody that's misfortune, you know, unfortunately had an injury or something, and then there's the stand-up person who has a heart that wants to try to participate with this person, where normally I don't believe that happens. So the magic for me, doing what I've done, was through music, movement, which is dance, and the touch, and that's something most people don't want to do. And through the art of dancing, at least through ballroom, because it's partnering, we've found that that's been the magic, and it's been very successful. You, you mentioned something about Parkinson's and um, other impairments, and um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I first saw you dance with a seated partner, I'll say, I'll use your terminology, about six years ago, mm-hmm. and ever since then I've talked about uh, bringing programs like that into skilled nursing facilities not only for people in wheelchairs, but people yes. who have other motor impairments or uh-huh. memory impairments because yes. it's about patterns and remembering and repetition yes. and pairing it with music. So I think it's, um, you know, that it, it, I'm glad that you mentioned that because yeah. I, I think it has, you know, far-reaching benefits yeah. for many you know, people. You know, Phyllis, it's great that you brought that up because there's, there's something more that's hidden that I think, you know, there's employees, there's nurses and PTs and everything. We did a program not too long, well, about five years ago. We did it at, well, if I could say it, St. Mary's uh, Hospital for Children and everything somewhere out in Long Island. I can't remember exactly where. And we had the nurses and the PTs, and we actually dressed them up in costumes with little hats and skirts. And, of course, the patients that we were with were very, very difficult to work with. They were in kind of, you know, electric chairs and almost beds that they were lying down, very incapable of doing anything. Do you know what it did for that staff? I can't begin to tell you the smiles what it did was it gave them a sense of more than just going to a job. They had they had a special opportunity to do something. And the families that came, the place was packed. And they, and they saw this little skit going on through dance with music. I can't begin to tell you not only, you know, um, what it does for the, the person that needs help, but the ones that are doing the help. It just gave them so much life and hope in doing something that I, I, I have films of it. You, it's amazing what it did for these people because we would meet once or twice, maybe three times a month for about four or five months, and they put this whole skit and then they did a show. 
and it was fabulous. And when I tell you all the families came to see this thing, well, you could say there was a dry eye in the house. I, I'm sure there wasn't. And I, I hope there are more programs like that. Um, I, I think I read someplace that, or you told me that, and we only have about a minute or so left, that people call you about starting wheelchair dance programs in different areas of the country. Yes. And I think that's really terrific because, it's a, like you said, it's about movement, it's about touch, it's about connection with people, and um, music in and of itself brings so much joy. Uh, when people can really move. I mean, I know from working in uh, different facilities when they even have a music program, people who have barely moved or aren't that receptive or responsive, all of a sudden they're jumping and they're moving and they're, you know, they're snapping their fingers and bopping their head and it's really a beautiful thing to see. Music brings um, what I would call muscle memory. Not only do you have to, you know, exercise your thoughts and use your memory but there's also a thing called muscle memory and music does that to people right you look at a baby you put on the music they never had a dance step in their life and they start bouncing up and down to it absolutely i believe that's part of the magic that's built into every person I agree. So we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we have another wonderful interview with Dan Lane to talk about movement and balance. Thank you for listening in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rubina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Rubina and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with John Nimchek. We had to leave for break before providing contact information, so I wanted to take a moment to provide it um, for you. Uh, John and his wife, Kathy, can be reached at Nimchek's Dance Center by emailing them at info at ndc.dance. 
Uh, now, Rubina, would you like to introduce our next guest? Uh, definitely, Phyllis. It will be my pleasure to introduce Dan Lane. I met Dan over a year ago when Olive Community Services found his uh, Tai Chi and balance classes at our local community center. Dan is, a certified, is certified as a balance and mobility specialist uh, through the California State University Fullerton. He has a BSc degree in chemistry from the University of Southern California, has graduate studies in health sciences as well as holds a master trainer certification in matter of balance, a fall prevention program that's sponsored by the National Institute on Aging. Additionally, Dan is a personal, certified personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine with subspecialties in balance training, rehabilitative exercise training for older adults, and group training. Dan also holds a certificate in gerontology, which is approved by the California Board of Registered Nurses. Dan has been practicing karate and tai chi for over 50 years. He holds teaching certificate in Tai Chi and a ranking of 8th degree black belt in karate. Dan believes that Tai Chi combined with balance and mobility training are powerful therapeutic allies. And Dan, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. And I can definitely share this with you that it has been a benefit to me for the last 14, 15 months that I have been in your class of, uh, of Tai Chi and balance. Then, what is balance and mobility training and why is it important for the older population? Thank you for having me on your program. Balance and mobility training is essentially a way of lowering the risk of falling. It's primarily targeted toward older adults and the method I teach is an evidence-based program developed at Cal State Fullerton. It is called Fall Proof Balance and Mobility. It's an evidence-based program, so every method and technique that we use in our classes have been rigorously tested for now over the last 40 years for their effectiveness in lowering the risk of falling and improving a person's ability to move. Balance and mobility training are always tied together. Balance and movement are, are, are intertwined. You really can't separate them. And one of the reasons it's so important for the older population is because over the last century, we've essentially doubled the human lifespan. And with that doubling of human lifespan, we began to see problems like a sharp rise in the instance of people over 50 falling that had not been anticipated. So it becomes necessary to find ways to help a person uh, maximize their sense of independence and sustain a high-quality life since we're living a lot longer. And one of the problems has been uh, many people as they were getting older were tending to migrate toward a sedentary lifestyle. And the problem with not moving enough is that we get weak, and as we get weak, our balance begins to suffer, and then we become fearful, and so then we're even less inclined to want to move, and the problem cascades and gets worse and worse and worse. So balance and mobility 
training is a way to interrupt that cycle and bring a person back into movement. It sounds like it's like a domino effect. Yes, exactly. Like one thing begets another. Right. Person has a bad fall, becomes fearful, says, decides, well, I'm not going to go this place anymore or I'm not going to go dancing anymore. And the person becomes less active, gets weaker, and the problem gets worse. So do you have any specific tips that you would give people uh, to help them with their um, help them to reduce the risk of their falls um, in, if they even weren't participating in a balance of mobility program, just general tips for people to be aware of? Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I would say try to stay active in mind and body. Do things that um, require movement in different directions, different ways of moving, and also try to do things that stimulate your mind, that um, Cause us to have to concentrate, like crossword puzzles, that sort of thing, reading. Keep your legs strong. Strong legs compensate for many issues like poor sight, loss of sensitivity in the inner ear, painful joints. If we can maintain strength in the legs, it goes a long ways toward maintaining our balance. Balance emerges from strength. I would also say be aware. Pay attention to your surroundings, especially when they're complex, when there's a lot of distraction. Slow down. That's a tough one because that hits on our behaviors, but there are ways to uh, train ourselves to slow down when we need to, when the situation merits uh, being more cautious. Try to widen and deeper the base of support. Keep your feet a little further apart. Keep one foot slightly forward of the other. And those things just taken together, more strength, a higher level of awareness, slowing down, and broadening the base of support can make a big difference in terms of lowering a person's risk of falling. You know, when you refer to awareness, I think of mindfulness, which is uh, so much is talked about uh, nowadays in terms of mindfulness, living in the moment, purposeful living. But, you know, when, when we walk, when we move, so much of it is automatic. It's almost unconscious. Unconscious. How do you train people to be more aware, to be more present in the moment as they walk, which is such an, you know, a, an automatic activity in a way? Right. Well, we do, a lot of the exercises that we do in the balance classes uh, will stimulate sensation in the body, like weight shifting or, or even tapping the feet. And by doing that repeatedly and encouraging a person to pay attention to what they're feeling while the person is shifting the weight or tapping the feet, there is a gradual raising of awareness. If a person repeats these patterns over a series of, say, eight weeks, it begins to get stronger. And the person then finds that in more balanced, challenging situations, there's a higher awareness of their sense of movement and their sense of risk in the moment. Uh, sensitivity to the bottoms of the feet is a key element of that. We use a lot of special equipment that basically forces the person to a higher level of mental focus in order to balance things like a balance beam. We lay down targets on the floor so that as the person walks, they have to pay attention and hit specific points in space. So all of that can work together to help train the person to be more aware. 
You know, Rubina, you said that you've been taking um, dance classes. Mm-hmm. How do you see some of those techniques translating into what you do on a daily basis? Well, as, as I said, I'm you know, fortunate that I found dance class. And I find that after a year of, uh, or 14 months of being in the class, I do have more mobility. I have lower back problems from a, an injury in college where I hurt my tailbone. And I feel that I have a lot more flexibility and a lot more movement. Um, I'm able to you know, bend down better. I'm able to sit up and down better. And that's where I, I want to share something with, you know, dance classes are also very fun. Um, I, and he's always, always open to answering our questions. And I remember when I first began, the moment I would get into exercising, I would start yawning so badly. And I, and I went to Dan one break time. I said, Dan, I am yawning so much, and I've had full sleep. He said, oh, you're just beginning to relax. Um, Dan, what, are some of, what have been some of your experiences from the participants in your class that they share for? Because I can, I can tell from the group that I know, somebody saying that her shoulder is moving better. Somebody saying she's able to bend down and do her prayers better. Well, before it was she was sitting on the chair and doing prayers. Um, so, what are some of the thing, some of the things that your uh, students have told you that uh, can help demonstrate how effective these uh, practices are. One of the probably most um, dramatic is a person will come to me and say, you know, I haven't been able to go shopping on my own for over a year, for example. And then the person will say, last weekend I went shopping. And they're just, you know, they're absolutely thrilled to regain that independence. They feel like they're getting their life back. Or sometimes I'll hold a class and I, I, have, I do a, a class where people practice getting up off of the ground. And sometimes I'll have a person, actually quite often, who hasn't been down on the floor voluntarily for quite a long time. And, yeah. And they're truly frightened. <laughs> they're frightened about the fact that they, they're worried, can I get up? And right. so we go through this, and they, they can do it, and their confidence comes back. So I've had people cry after they got up off the ground because they're so relieved to know that they can do it. So a lot of the, the feedback I get, besides improved movement and lessening of pain, is uh, based on an improved sense of lifestyle, uh, many people say, I went to an event last weekend, and it was tricky. I had to walk on the grass, and I was thinking of you and what you say in class. So I get a lot of feedback from people saying that their awareness is heightened, and they're paying closer, closer attention to how they're moving. So that, uh, my question is, how, what's the oldest person that has been in your class? Oldest oh, person was 103. Awesome. I have, yeah, I have currently I have uh, four students over 100. Um, 
I don't know how many over the age of 90, but probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 or 30. And then the bulk of my student population averages about age 80 now. Wow, that's incredible. So, you say, you know, when Rubina read your um, bio, uh, she said about your experiences in martial arts, Tai Chi and Karate. So, how do you translate the martial arts into balance and mobility training for older adults without doing specific training for martial arts? Right. Well, Tai Chi and Karate are, are forms of hand-to-hand combat. And that requires essentially a person be able to control posture, the shifting of weight, stepping, and managing forces, what we do when we push or pull on things, and how we manage it if something pushes or pulls on us. They're integral components of those arts. But posture, weight shifting, stepping, and managing force are the cornerstones of balance and movement. So there's a a very close association between the two. So I can draw from the principles of martial arts directly and bring it into balance and mobility. The person doesn't have to do martial arts movements necessarily, but there's so many correlates that I'm able to use some special exercises that we do in martial arts and bring those into the balance and mobility training. And that way the two join together just to overall increase, increase the effectiveness of the training and balance. I've worked in over uh, 40 skilled nursing facilities and I've seen many Tai Chi programs in these kinds of buildings. Do you think that the programs, or are you familiar with any of the programs in skilled nursing facilities that are called Tai Chi, do they really reflect Tai Chi methodology and do they impart the same benefits uh, as somebody? I don't know if all these people are specifically trained in Tai Chi, but can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, the, the the term Tai Chi is broadening moment by moment. And so there is quite a bit of quite a varied range of exercise regimes out there that are going under the label of Tai Chi. Uh, many of them are not based in hand-to-hand combat, obviously. But th- my point would be that balance emerges from strength. Any movement is better than being sedentary. Uh, Kaiser Permanente had a banner up on their website, movement is the drug of choice. So I would say if an instructor can somehow draw the class into a higher state of awareness when they're moving, increase strength and mobility, there's benefit regardless of the background of that person and what they're you know, doing specifically. If it gives those benefits, then I would say it, it's useful. Mm-hmm. Dan, that's, that's excellent. How do you give people their, their confidence back? I know you're very gentle with newcomers, and I've seen you, but what is going on behind in your mind as you're uh, encouraging people to change their behavior, move, exercise? I'm, I'm trying to help them get stronger because my experience over the years is that as the person gets physically stronger in their legs and as their mental focus improves, the confidence starts to return. The person starts to feel better. They find they're doing things that they had been avoiding. And so it's not so much a a matter of me giving it to them, but more a matter of just 
kind of helping them along a path, getting behind them and gently nudging them along the way and also protecting them so that they don't try to go too fast and force things. And it just, when it works right, and most of the time it does, the person starts to feel better and so they become more interested in continuing the process because they feel a result. Then how can people get in touch with you and where can uh, they benefit they from can, your... Yeah, they can reach me by email, uh, dan at danlane.com, and that's D-A-N-L-A-Y-N-E. So they can reach me at dan at danlane.com, or they can go to my website, which is www.danlane.com. Wonderful. Yeah. And I know that many of your classes are offered at local community centers in uh, in Orange County, and many of them are free of charge. Uh, right. So it's it's really I think it's really a blessing that we are able to share this with the community to come and to join your classes. And thank you so much for being with us. And we want to thank our listeners to, for, listen, for joining us at Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Empowerment Channel of Voice America. Thank you. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.